No, because oh, because this it. was originally M's episode and we didn't I record I, it. I can't actually sit in because I've just I've just say you know I, yeah I'd say too much too soon and ruin I it. I can't believe that happened. That's so unfortunate. It was one of those. I didn't outwardly show it, but inwardly I was crying. It oh. was. It was a really good. I, would I, I don't been... want to put pressure on you, Ollie, but it was really, really good. The the, the jokes, the gonna... banter was flying. I'm it just going to top bants. Deliberately, say. it'd be really shit now. <laughs> <laughs> well, every every now and then it might be a pause and go. Em did it better. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. I'll be like, that's why you married her and not me. <laughs> so. Yeah, banter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh no! It's because mm. I'm very, uh, very. <laughs> you had to say very easy. No, I was. No, that wasn't the full sentence that I was going to say. I'm not very easy to offend. That's why you married me. I'm not easily offended. It works. The dynamic works. Yeah. It's good. Hey up! I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with. So this story begins in the year five. <laughs> That's the earliest we've ever been. I, I think I it's the earliest we've ever been. Yes, the year five. We were only just starting to consider whether numbering things like years was going to be an efficient use of our time. Yeah, I, and it, it it is. Yeah, I, I mean, say. I think I think we've established that it's quite a good way of delineating one year from the other, mm-hmm. rather than just giving them random names like next year's Steve. Like they do with storms. Yeah, but they they could give someone an opportunity to pick. You know, like you could have a raffle. Like Boaty McBoatface. Oh, wouldn't it? Yeary McYearface. <laughs> anyway, the process for being made a saint is today reserved as being by the sole authority of the Pope. And it has been ever since 1170, when Pope Alexander put his foot down. Okay. So before then, it was it was a bit of a free-for-all. And basically, if there was a local groundswell, you know, your, your sort of towns and cities, they were slightly more isolated. So if the people of a town or a city decided that someone was worthy of sainthood, they'd just unofficially call them a saint. Can you imagine if they did that now? We'd have like Saint Justin Bieber and Saint whatever. Well, I think it's, it's, it's more natural if the people after someone dies goes, actually, weren't they great? It was kind of organic and... Yeah, okay, fine, yeah. 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 Basically, you know, the church would eventually have to go, oh, fine, okay, they can be a saint, Mm -hmm. because you're not going to shut up about it, are you? And probably, you know, the the, um, shrine's already been built, they've already harvested some bones to keep as relics, it's it's all already happened. The church had just kind of come in and rubber-stamping what was going to happen anyway. But after Alexander professionalised the process, there is now, still to this day, a clear five-stage process for reaching sainthood. What are they? <clears throat> ah, I'm glad you asked. So if you, Ollie, want to become a saint, this is what you'll have to do. Okay. So this is kind of um, step zero, because mm-hmm. first of all, you'd have to die. Mm-hmm. You okay. can't be a living saint. Fine. And then a local bishop will have to give permission for you to be investigated as a possible saint. So people would come to the local bishop and say, we feel that Ollie Green lived a very good holy life and that he was, you know, saintly and that he should be recognised as a saint chosen by God. Mm -hmm. If the bishop accepts that sort of request... Which he won't, but go on. 
uh, a detailed biography will be written by, oh, an, by an appointee of the church with eyewitness accounts of any and all potentially saintly behaviour or miracles being collated together. So they go through everything they could about your life with a fine tooth comb and say, right, oh, look, the, he ordered two Big Macs and he ended up with four in the bag. That might be a miracle. Maybe he made that manifest itself when he went to McDonald's, which meant he could feed his friends because yeah. he knew they were hungover and needed sustenance. <laughs> so this biography, when it's completed, step three, it's presented to a panel of church officials. And if they're satisfied, then your body will be dug up and preserved just in case. OK, so there must be a time scale on this because you can't dig up a body and preserve it if it's been like four years because there'd be nothing if you left preserved as best you can i guess you know stick stitch you back together i I agree the earlier the better to be Mm. honest if the day you drop dead they've already got the biography ready to go that's probably the most effective way to do it but yeah they'll they'll take what they can get at this point so do many people get made saints these days though because i don't hear of it uh yes i think um, Mother Teresa was made a saint. Um, John Paul II, isn't he a saint now? There's a few. Essentially. I think it it happens less because it's it's got this sort of admin process around it now. Mm-hmm. You know, Alexander... Hasn't there been loads of backlash <clears throat> on Mother Teresa, though? Yeah. Yeah. yeah There's ha- a documentary that I need to watch. It's on my list. And it's about, like, how she wasn't actually that nice. No, that the... the she kept a lot of the money um, and fed it back into the church rather than using it to help the the, the women that she mm. was purporting to help. And they were living lives of servitude and semi-slavery, yeah. pretty much, I think is the allegation. I've, I've not looked into it enough, but I believe that's kind of the... I'll the watch it and I'll get it. back yeah, to Yeah, yeah. You get back and say just how much of a bitch that old woman was. <laughs> so once your body's been preserved, though, the person... You'd have to pass through the, the stages... So you don't just get to be a saint straight away. First of all, you will be made um, venerable. So you'll be the venerable Oliver Green. And then if people still were really behind it and really thinking, oh, yeah, people are worshipping. Well, not worshipping, but people are praying to this venerable Oliver Green. And he seems to have quite a lot of um, supporters. You would move up the ranking to blessed. Okay. So it's we, quite a long process. Yeah, but it's yeah. like the venerable bead is the only person I think who got stuck at that stage. Okay. You know, the uh, historical scholar, monk yeah. and scholar. I think he got stuck at the venerable stage and people were like, actually, I think <laughs> that that's his do. level. You know, that he's, he's championship yeah. level. He's not quite Premier League. Um, and then once you've gone through Blessed, you can become a saint, but only once two post-death miracles have been confirmed so okay, you have right. to have been responsible post dying for two uh, confirmed miracles, and then as soon as you, who confirms them? Uh, the Pope. Generally, yeah. The, well, the Pope gets the final say, so to say, yep, rubber stamp. That was definitely a miracle. But people are on the lookout. Okay. And I, like, I is this like seeing like Jesus in toast and stuff? Yeah, I think that would would count. If if we saw your face in say a uh, falafel or something, <laughs> then. That would be, look, he's he's made his presence known. I hate falafel. Or if someone prayed to you and then they were able to find the car keys after two hours of searching, then, oh, maybe that was a miracle. Maybe you'd interceded on that person's behalf. I, and I had, yeah. Mm. But it's only after those two miracles that you can finally be canonised and made a saint. Okay, fine. 
I quite I quite like that there's a long process though, because then every Tom, Dick, and Harry would be a saint otherwise. Well, there's a, there's a few, because okay. if you take into account the pre sort of um, administration kind of um, changes, as well as the ones who've who've gone through this system, there are over ten thousand registered saints. Really? Okay. So hmm. now I'm wondering why some become more famous than others. Ah, well, part of it is whether you get attached to something. So quite a few of them will be associated with specific jobs, with specific activities or geographical locations. Okay, yeah. So like St Mungo in Glasgow is a big thing. Mm. Uh, St Cuthbert. Yeah, cool. Well, to to give a few examples. So take St Genesius of Rome. Mm -hmm. He was beheaded in the year 303 as a martyr. Yeah. And for this noble sacrifice, he is now patron saint of both clowns and torture victims. Okay, I can get the torture victims because he had his head cut off. Mm. But clowns? He was a satirist. um, And he was using his um, position as a comedian to (laughs) kind of promote Christianity and knock down the local religion. Why do clowns need saints? Because it's a hard job. I think I think they need some uh, divine intervention at times. <laughs> Especially if you're Pennywise going around in drains, killing children. I, th- I think he started out as just a regular c- clown, but then he realised that it wasn't paying enough money and he had to live in the sewerage system. And that would turn me bitter, to yeah, be fair. Yeah, I guess so. I, I, I'm yeah, only trying fine. to bring joy and you're, you're leaving me to, to subsist in the gutter. Yeah. I Fuck actually, con- controversially, I don't actually think that anyone is scared of clowns. I think they just make it up. Like, I think it's like a made-up thing and people just jump on the bandwagon and it's not real. I'm not scared of them so much as they make me feel uncomfortable because I don't like audience participation at the best of times and clowns are just audience participation. Yeah, but that's a that's social anxiety thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a... socially anxious and clowns play on that. It's not that I'm scared of the clown. No. You know, unless it's a clown with an axe, in which case I'm probably scared of the axe more so than the clown. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, that's just one example. Try St Antipas of Pergamum, which okay. is fun to say. He had a bit more of a spicy death. He was burned alive in a bull-shaped brazier around 50. Oh, I've AD. seen them before. They're yeah. brutal. But, you know... He's, is he patron he... saint of bulls? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's worse than that. Because you'd think, OK, I'm going to be made a saint. I'm going to be a patron saint. I'm going to be helping some people, I'm going to be remembered in association with this thing. Uh, he's the patron saint of people suffering from toothache. <laughs> That's very specific. Yeah. Although, toothache, bloody hurts, man. Like, I've only had it, ever had it once. Mm. And, like, people used to come up to me and be like, oh, my tooth really hurts. I'd be like, oh, get a grip. Like, get a grip. Like, you'll be fine. And then I had it. Oh, my God. I re- I, I apologise to anyone that I've slagged mm. for having toothache because that hurts. While I agree with you on some level, don't you think it's a bit um, unfair on the man to be equating being slowly roasted alive in a bull-shaped oven to toothache? The two things don't equate in terms of pain, I don't think. Oh, no, absolutely not. The comparison is not acceptable. And to be up there, and it's like, God, the only time they remember my name, the only time you hear blooming, oh, St Antipas is because they've eaten too many sweets and haven't been going to the dentist. Mm, which is a bad, bad thing. Although, 
can't get a dentist appointment these days. No. Maybe we should bring back St Antipas of Pergamum. Maybe now's mm-hmm. the time for him to have his resurgence as the NHS dentistry system is on its arse. <laughs> he should be the new logo. <laughs> yeah. Well, just a bloke being in tossed a ball. into a ball <laughs> with a roaring fire underneath. That's his crest. Yeah. The new NHS crest. Yeah. Oh, would you go to a dentist where that's on a shield outside? St. Antipas approved. So, I, I mean, I go to a private dentist now because I'm not rich. I'm just, I needed work done. Uh, but my dentist is beautiful. So I don't mind going these days. Yeah. Are you truly St. Antipas? <laughs> the second coming. Uh, moving on. You can be my Pergamum. <laughs> um, so, yes, while men to this day... You know, in the Catholic Church, as far as I understand it, only men can be priests. Okay. Yeah. There is no such bar on women achieving sainthood. And an example of this, managing to smash that glass ceiling, is St. Agatha of Sicily, who is now, due to her heavenly works, remembered as the patron saint of nurses. Okay, that's not a bad one. And natural disasters. <laughs> Why do the two... I don't know, but in terms of natural disasters, it's not all natural disasters. It's specifically fire, earthquakes, and the eruptions of Mount Vesuvius. Does it have to be related to something in their lives? Well, see, I don't think so, because I don't think dentistry was a thing uh, in AD 50. Yeah, because no one had shitty, sugary, processed foods and their teeth were fine. I, I, I could have sworn the Romans loved sugar. Maybe I, don't, maybe I mean, not. I don't know. I, yeah, possibly. But I'm it hadn't sure made its way over here. But I don't have the source, so I can't say with 100% Have I told confidence. you about my salary thing before? You get paid in sugar. No, it's not sugar. So in Latin, mm. uh, salary means salt. And salt was so valuable that you used to get paid in salt or have like a salt allowance which is why we still call it salary today, because it was a something of worth. Wow. So that's where that word comes from. It's a Roman Latin word for salt. That is a good fact. Yeah. And go. I'm going to steal that and tell someone else later. Yeah, do it. Do it. <clears throat> now, some saints, they'll be made the patron saint of even more things, such as, an example off the top of my head, St Andrew, who is the patron saint of sore throats, butchery and rope makers as well as being patron saint of a number of countries scotland i was going to say one of which it does just so happen to be scotland making saint andrew the first of the four patron saints of the british isles so he was there first well he in terms of when they lived he is the the earliest born of the four patron saints and that's what we'll be talking about today saint andrew all four. We're going to go through them. Ah, oh, amazing. Boom, Do you know, boom, that's boom. quite interesting. Um, I know a little bit about St. George. Um, we'll, we'll see if my my facts marry up with what you know. Yeah, I don't know much about the rest of them, though. Ah, well, you're going to learn some things. Oh, amazing. Hopefully. Yeah. So, before he became a saint, Andrew was born somewhere around the year five in Galilee. Where's that? It's in the Middle East. It's not too far from Jerusalem. What the hell has it got to do with Scotland then? Ah, we'll get to it. Okay, but first, fine. you know, I'm, I'm building it up. It's okay. All right, tell me now. <laughs> in his 20s, he was working as a fisherman alongside his brother Peter, 
when a bloke called Jesus was passing by, and he offered to make the two of them fishers of men instead. Top man. Mm. Andrew and Peter took him up on his intriguing offer and became the first two of Jesus' disciples. And reportedly, Andrew enjoyed the disciple life right up until the point of the Last Supper and the Crucifixion. Oh, he was there. Oh, yeah. It must have been a downer that day for him. Yeah, quite sad. He's like, he's given up his, his fishing boat and he's he's got this new life as a as a disciple. And suddenly he, he's a disciple with no one to disciple for. Because Jesus was Jewish, mm. were they all Jewish as well? Yes, I, I think they would have been, yeah. And then Christianity was born after the resurrection thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, then you got the New Testament and the New Covenant, yeah? Yeah, got you. Now, following the death of Jesus, Andrew was at a bit of a loose end. So, like many people in the, say, you know, the mid-twenties who were at a bit of a loose end, he decided to go on a gap year. A gap year. He went on his gap year. Uh, and he travelled to Eastern Europe, preaching nice. as he went, because it's what Jesus would have wanted. Mm-hmm. This is why he later became the patron saint of Ukraine, Romania and Russia. Okay. Unfortunately, though, when he reached Patras in Greece, he rubbed the locals up the wrong way. To the point where he was sentenced to death as a Christian martyr. What? They what did, did not say? like his preaching. What did he do? I think he just tried to spread Christianity. It, it, it was still quite an edgy thing to be saying because it was really disrupting the the you know the order of the thing. It's saying, oh no, you know, we're all equal, and you should be um, giving away your money, and you should be charitable towards your neighbour. And the people of Patras were like, nah, or at least that you know. The so people what have religion money. were they then? See, Emma asked me this as well. I assume it was whatever the state religion of Rome was at the time, so I think it was still the Roman pantheon. Okay. I think it was still a, a polytheistic Roman pantheon that was the main thing. Okay. But I don't know exactly. No. It definitely okay. wasn't Christianity anyway. Okay, so he's bringing over this new message, and they're like, absolutely not. Yeah. We don't want to hear it, and we want to make sure no one else hears it. So, yeah, uh, so please be quiet, or we're going to make you quiet. No, it, it, there wasn't a please. It was, we're going to make you quiet. Okay, fine. I don't think he had a choice in this. Now, Andrew, he wasn't too fussed about being crucified in the name of God. I'm sure, I'm sure he was a little bit fussed. No, no, no. He was happy to, okay. to go along. He'll see his mate Jesus again. He knows because he was promised he's going to get a plum seat up there in heaven. So he's yeah. fine with being crucified. But he actually had more of a problem with the fact that he felt it would be unseemly if he were to be crucified in the same way as Jesus had been. He didn't want to impose upon Jesus's thing. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be nailed to a cross either. Oh, no, he was fine with the cross. It just couldn't be like Jesus's cross. Couldn't be a, a true crucifix. So he asked the officials in Patras, would you mind crucifying me on a, a cross in the shape of an X instead? Because that's suitably different. I want my legs splayed as well so I can get some... Some air as I'm dying. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to be sweaty in the crotch as I'm. Uh, no, you know. go with dignity. Yeah, no <laughs> legs akimbo. Yeah, <laughs> and sportingly, uh, the guys, the authorities in Patras, they agreed, oh, and they nailed kind. him to a wooden frame in the shape of an X, where he died. Great. Uh, and that was a. He was about fifty-five, so that would have been about AD sixty that, that um, Andrew died. Very early days. 
Now, what you may notice from the story of St Andrew is a distinct lack of any mention of Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. No. So how exactly did Andrew end up as the patron saint of a country over 2,300 miles away? I don't know. Tell me. Tell me, Joe. Around 300 years after Andrew's death, a monk called Regulus, he had a dream. Mm. In his dream, an angel visited him and told him it was vital that he took some of Andrew's bones to the ends of the earth and that he would know when he'd reached the ends of the earth as he would be shipwrecked there, which kind of indicates that he should probably go by boat as well. Although I don't think that was stated overtly, it was more implied. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you can't be shipwrecked in a wagon. Could you? No. You'd just crash, wouldn't you? Well, anyway, once he was shipwrecked, wherever he ended up, Regulus was expected to build a shrine for the bones. Okay. And that would be a very important thing for him to do. Regulus woke from his dream, and rather than going, whew, maybe I need to lay off the cheese. (laughs) Oh, God, that was weird. He headed straight for the crypt where Andrew had been for three centuries to collect some bones. And when I say some bones, it was, I mean, he he was quite eclectic in what he decided to take because he grabbed a sack and in the sack he stuffed a kneecap, an upper arm bone, three fingers and a tooth. Do you think that's, like, has his body, like, decomposed enough so they were the only bits that he could get? I think after 300 years, oh, well, it's, sorry, it's a dry yeah. crypt. The bee, yeah, fine. probably just sorry. the skeleton there. Yeah. But it's just uh, grab the kneecap, an upper arm bone, some fingers, a tooth, and away he went. How do we know it was actually his body? Um, I believe there the, was a sh- the shrine was made quite soon after he died. Okay. And he was put there because I think Christianity, the conversion to Christianity wasn't long in coming after he died. He was just slightly ahead of the curve on that. Poor old okay. Andrew. Yeah. But anyway, with some of his bones in a sack. He's got his kneecap. Yeah. Yeah. Regulus, he went straight down to the docks, chartered a boat, and set sail westward from the Greek coast through the Strait of Gibraltar, and then headed northwards towards mm-hmm. the edge of the map of the known world. Yeah. Naturally, when the angel had referred to the end of the world, he'd meant Scotland. <laughs> Some would still argue that that, that yeah. And Regulus, he ended up shipwrecked and he washed up in Fife, where he built a shrine to St. Andrew. Mm-hmm. Which is where St. Andrew's is now. It attracted a small local following. Okay. That persisted for nearly 500 years. So for all that work, it, di- it didn't immediately take Scotland by storm, this new shrine to St. Andrew. Yeah, but still, like, that still paid off. A few people from the northwest Scotland just... Hi. Yeah, it's a start though, isn't it? It's a startup business. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, 500 years later, after this starter business, it was a very slow burn. Legend has it that a local Pictish king called Ongus. Great name. O-E-N-G-U-S. Ongus. Ongus. And not only was that name his name, it had been his father's name because this was Ongus II. Great. He was preparing for battle with a rather large army of Angles who'd come up from England. Mm-hmm. And Some things that, never change. Yeah, seeing that he was outnumbered, he decided he needed a little bit extra. He needed something to inspire his men. So he made a vow that if Andrew, St Andrew, could offer a saintly intervention to help him win, he would make Andrew the patron saint 
of all Scotland. Which is quite the claim, considering the Picts didn't control all of Scotland. Okay. So he was he was so promising more than he clan could deliver. Territory. Yeah, but it was a it was a grand gesture. Um, now Andrew apparently signalled his agreement to this deal. How did he do that? Wobble his kneecap? Ah, oh, no, no, no. It was nothing to do with the re- with the relics, because these guys were out in a field. They weren't at the shrine. Okay. They were out on on the field of battle. So. What he did was he put a cloud in the sky in the shape of a cross yeah, to signal that he's, he's down with this, this That's deal. That's it. That is it. He's and there. seeing this white cross in the blue sky, Ongus's men, they took heart and they proceeded to give the Angle army an almighty Scottish drubbing. It was an aeroplane. They sent them back where they came from. Well, not where they came from because they came from mainland Europe around Germany, but he sent them out of Scotland. That was the main thing. Yeah. And true to his word, Angus made St. Andrew the patron saint of Scotland and adopted a white cross on a blue background as the national flag. Oh, because of the sky and yeah. the clouds. That's the story of where the, where the flag comes from. What? Fun extra fact about the Saltaire. Uh, the St. Andrew's cross can also be used in Scotland to prevent witches from flying down your chimney. Uh, so if you have one yeah. carved on your fireplace, it will prevent witch ingress. So you won't get any Sanderson sisters. No, they'd be they'd chimney. be buggered if they tried to get down that chimney. Yeah, and I'm I'm definitely thinking of getting a couple of saltaires to put in our fireplaces just to make sure, because you never know. Uh, uh, there's a million. There's ten to a dozen up here. I'll send you some. Yeah, the classier the better. If it can be brass that I can sort of do, that'd be beautiful. Anyway, unfortunately for Angus. It turned out that St Andrew assisting him in battle was a one-time deal. He was killed two years later in 834 in battle, and five years later, both of his sons were killed while battling Vikings, which is at least quite a metal way to die. But it did bring the entire Ongus line to an end. Yeah, I'd never heard of them before. Ah, well, he, he, he did one big notable thing, which was introduce the national flag of Scotland and decide who the patron saint was. But aside that's from a, that, didn't I was do a that's, a, that's a pretty big thing. Like and this was the... a time when most of the kings, you know, the shelf life of, his, of one of the kings of these sort of warring factions in Scotland was around 10 years if you did well. Yeah. You know, it was very much. And they always seemed surprised that they'd be um, killed in battle, just like the guy that they replaced. Yeah. It'll be different this time. Yeah. What do you mean you're challenging my authority? But I'm the king. Yeah, and so was the king before you. And the one before that. Yeah. So, there you go. That That is a little bit of information, a little potted no, history. No, that's of really interesting because became... I didn't know about the flag mm. at all. I know, so St Andrews is is an actual place in yep. Fife. And um, the Kingdom of Fife is actually its official title. Um, oh, okay. It styles and... itself a kingdom, nice. Go Fife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called the Kingdom of Fife. And um, it's a beautiful place. If anyone uh, hasn't been, they should go because it's lovely. I want to go just to watch East Fife play against Four Far. Fine. But, I mean, there is, like, other stuff there as well. No. Like a really nice cheese shop. Oh, well, I've been to the Cheddar Gorge cheese shop, so I'll have to go some to beat that. Oh, this is, this is up there. Up oh. there. Well, I like cheese. So. That's where our future king and his wife met. A what, a cheese shop in Fife? No, in St. <laughs> Andrew's <laughs> University. Oh, I wish it was a cheese shop in Fife. 
Maybe it was. Maybe they're both they f- in there. They frolicked over some. She brie. was looking for a creamy brie. He was looking for a stinking bishop, and they just their eyes met they over the found each cheddar, other. Yeah, and away yeah. they went and had affairs. Now I want Danish blue. Mm. No, because you know the Vikings. We can't go encouraging them again. That's how they get in there. They get in there with trade. Mm. Next thing the, you know, the Danes. The Danes are sexy people. Oh God, you're 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 going to let them in, aren't you? You'll open the gates to them. These Vikings yeah. will be back. Oh right, and Ollie you turned will be the into Suella Braverman. Don't let anyone in. We can't go politicking. It's going to date it. Because I'm sure, you know, her political career is not going to last much beyond tomorrow. So you're really dating this episode. Well, that's good. When I'm in my retirement home, I'll be like, I'll remember. That was a crazy week. (laughs) Now, the second patron saint that we're going to talk about, and this is chronologically, I'm not showing preference to any of these guys. The all done well. The eventual patron saint of England, St. George. Shosh. And fittingly, for the patron saint of England... He was born outside of the EU in modern-day Turkey <laughs> around the year 280 to Greek Christian parents. I told you the Greeks eventually got on the Christianity train. So by 280, they were, they were after well on it. killing St Andrew. Now, unfortunately for little George, his dad died when he was very young. That's sad. Meaning that his mother had to take him back to her hometown of Lod near Jerusalem. Okay. At some point in his teens... George joined the Roman army and may or may not have killed a dragon while serving in Syria. So I'm pretty sure that's false. You yes. say that. I don't know what was going on in Syria uh, in about the year 300. So it was probably like um, a bearded dragon or like a gecko or something. What, or just a, a large bloke with a particularly bad skin disease. Someone with really bad psoriasis. <laughs> flaky yeah fine scales a man with scales a yeah. man with scales possibly i mean we don't know it may have been a dragon why not let's it enjoy let's enjoy the whimsy not a dragon it was definitely a dragon okay in the year 303 the roman emperor diocletian mm-hmm. i'm probably pronouncing that very wrong but i'm going with diocletian decided that he wasn't a big fan of christianity anymore no. and he ordered that all christian soldiers in the army either renounce their faith or face punishments. Okay. George refused. He said, no, no, do your worst. And he found out that the worst was, according to the church at least, to be subjected to 20 separate tortures over the course of seven years. That's very specific. Why 20 over seven? Well, you know what the church are like. They like to just make these proclamations. Um, I think what they're basically getting at was he was tortured a lot over an extended period of time. Okay. I mean, it could have been worse because another unfortunate Christian caught up in this purge called simply Peter was whipped until very bloody, covered in salt and vinegar, and then slowly cooked over an open flame until he became the equivalent of human pork scratchings. What is wrong with people? So I think that's very inventive. Although you can imagine if you're being, you know, you're one of the soldiers being forced to watch this punishment, that there was a moment when the smell kind of wafted across and you couldn't help but feel a little bit hungry. (laughs) And then you'd feel slightly disgusted with yourself. What would it taste like, do you think? Say pork. Say that's the closest um, sort of equivalent to it. I'm not a massive fan of pork, so I'm not sure I'd be keen on human. It depends how hungry you are, I guess. 
Mm. Although well, yeah, they reckon that if you're in a starving situation, you're best going for the um, the internal organs first, so the heart, the liver. Oh, awful. Well, it's where all the... Because as if you're in a starving situation, all of mm. the meat, all of your muscle and all of your fats are going to quickly get used up. But the body has a vested interest in you know, keeping the heart pumping, keeping all of your, your important internal organs going for as long as possible, so they'll still be nutrient-rich even when the rest of the body's quite wasted. No, I'd rather die. Okay, well, that's fine. If we're in a, a cannibal situation... You can eat me, it's fine. No, no, if like we've got a dead body, I'll eat all the offal and all the bits with actual nutrition in it, and you and can... And I'll have the meat. You can chew on a sort of I just offered you leg. my body to eat if we're ever... How nice is that? Is it just that you just want the pain to stop? Yeah. Yeah, you carry on, Joe. You you survive three I more do days have, in this hell. I do have, like, massive uh, thighs, so you'll eat well oh, good. on them. I mean, yeah. what I'd try and do if I had the time was make you into jerky so I'd be able to take you with me. <laughs> Could I become a saint? Yes. Yeah, St. Ollie of Jerky. He's the patron yeah. saint of all cured meats. <laughs> he was vegetarian. No, I'm not. Anyway, but... while he wasn't made into a pub snack, George was kept in a state of near constant agony. However, the attempt to make an example of George apparently backfired as his unshakable faith and the dignity with which he endured the unimaginable pain, became quite the PR campaign for Christianity. It's like, look, with God on your side, what you can endure, look at the strength that God can give you. And it is claimed that as a result, nearly 41,000 people converted to Christianity. Sheep, a lot of them. And while that's obviously an exaggeration, what we do know is that the Roman authorities eventually decided torturing him was more trouble than it was worth. So they chopped his head off. That and will be that will make a big riot. It took so long for them to chop his head off that by the time they got round to it, Diocletian, who sort of set this entire thing off, had abdicated as emperor and was living a lovely retirement, tending to his gardens in his expansive villa. So he's one of the few Ro- Roman emperors who just said, Do you know what, I've had my time. I've had enough. Yeah. I'm going back to enjoy um, you know, some of the benefits of being fabulously wealthy. And I'm just going to grow my good for, olives. Good for him. Well, I aside do like from the purging olive. of you know thousands of people and cutting people's heads off. Yeah, but otherwise, did they have the guillotine? No, no. of course they didn't. They Please see episode sword. whatever it is that we one hundred and thirty something, the last one that we did the, together. Yeah. And while Saint Andrew had to wait around seven hundred years to become patron saint of Scotland. St. George had to wait over a thousand years to score the same position in England. What the hell has it got to do with England then? Ah, here we go. In 1348, he was selected as the patron saint of Edward III's newly formed Order of the Garter. And his story was beefed up and kind of twisted about a bit to make him the very model of middle-aged chivalry. So he became the embodiment. That's when they, you know, put him in plate mail with a lance and following all the sort of knightly virtues. Mm -hmm. And made him, like, the whitest of white people. Yeah, so basically people were vaguely aware of St. George, Mm -hmm. but they didn't know enough of the detail. So where did he originate from? He was was, um, originally from Turkey. Okay, so he would have been white, but with a darker complexion. Mm, I mean, he... mm. I, I imagine it was more more likely that he was kind of Arabic in appearance. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they don't depict that on uh, no, literature. No, he's, he's no they? longer that way. 
He is white as anything. Now, because the Order of the Garter and the idea of chivalry was a big thing at that point in history, uh, his popularity, St George, steadily grew. Until, by the time Edward VI became king in 1552, he had overtaken local boy and former patron saint of England, Edward the Confessor, to become the undisputed holder of that title. So Edward the Confessor was the patron saint of England before yes, the, St George? the only king of England who's ever been made a saint, Edward the Confessor. Oh, but he must have been gutted being knocked off the He was a bit spot. of a wet fish, though, wasn't he, Edward uh, the was, Confessor? Well, I, mean, I, mean, he I wasn't... can't really remember what he did or didn't do. He, he basically <laughs> had to give up all his power to the Goodwins, oh. um, sadly. He was the one who had to marry uh, a Goodwin and then refused to have sex with her to make an heir, which caused the... Um, situation that led to you know him promising harold goodwinson harold hadrada and william uh, of normandy the throne of england after he died because he was just uh, too weak to say no to anyone it's just, oh, okay <laughs> yeah you can have it and then the so next he needed guy to be comes knocked, in knocked off the top spot I, I, I mean up to you who you want to have i think we've had better kings who could have been made saints and would have been more positive but No, he was the only one we had and he wasn't up to the task, so we had to bring someone in from uh, Eastern Europe to do the job for us. Mm -hmm. That's really ironic. Can you imagine all the really right-wing people finding this out? Because they they seem very anti-Eastern Europeans coming over to the country now. If they knew that our George... But do you know how I said that uh, patron saints can be saints of more than one place? Yeah. Prior to becoming patron saint of England, St. George was already the patron saint of <clears throat> Georgia, Iberia in Spain, Portugal, Brazil, Bulgaria, Russia, and more specifically Moscow, Bosnia, Montenegro, and Serbia. Okay, so we're just that's... one in a long line of countries that, that claim him as the patron saint. We're not so special. So do other people have him as a patron saint? Yeah, yeah. All of those places do. Still to this day? Yep, still a patron saint of all of those places that I just named. So that's fun, isn't it? Oh, well, it kind of takes the... Um, the shine off. Yeah, a little bit. It's just like, well... Couldn't come bit... up with something original. Come yeah. On, guys. Mm. Maybe it's time to change it up. Patron saints. Well, I'll think of one. Yeah, yeah. But before the end, you can pick who you want to replace him with. Yeah. Because I think the other three are quite quite good. This one just seems like it's a bit... Wishy-washy. It does. He feels the most wishy-washy of them. Yeah. Definitely. So, third up chronologically, or halfway through, is St. Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland, who was, naturally, born in the northwest of England at some point in the 5th century. This is mental. Even better, it's more than likely that he was born somewhere around the Morecambe Bay coast. Oh, so near to you. He's likely to be a Barrow boy from Barrow Inverness. Uh, oh, so very close. Yeah, yeah. Yep. we can see it across the water to this day. Yeah. And I say Barra because we can deduce that he probably lived in a coastal village, as he claimed in his autobiography, because he was a shameless self-promoter, was St. Patrick, that he was abducted by Irish pirates at the age of 16 and sold into slavery in Ireland. Okay. Quite the experience to have. Was that true, or is he just making that up? This is, this is from his own dear mouth. This is okay. what he said happened to him. Now, young Patrick, he spent six long years working as an animal herder without pay until he heard a heavenly voice one day telling him that he would soon be returning to his homeland via a ship. Now, Patrick, ever a practical man, he decided to help this prediction along 
uh, and immediately after hearing the saintly voice, he escaped his captors and travelled 200 miles on foot to an Irish port, where he was indeed able to gain passage on a ship back to England. Which begs right. the question, how closely was he being watched? And could he have done this uh, six years ago? Yeah. But it doesn't matter. He's doing it now. He's back, <laughs> in Eng- he's back in England. Oh, yeah, he got back. And with this apparent personal divine intervention, Patrick decided the only reasonable thing to do with his newfound freedom was to join the priesthood, which would okay. naturally place many restrictions on his newfound freedom. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick travelled and studied across Europe for a further six years before he received another divine contact. So he's, he's getting um, messages from the angels on six yearly intervals to let yeah. him know what to do next. Cool. This time, though, it was a vision of a man called Victoricus coming from Ireland and saying, We appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk amongst us. It's brave, considering he was kidnapped. Hmm to be there but also i mean patrick by this stage he's 28 so referring to him as a servant boy is a bit bit condescending yeah even for you know a heavenly um vision oi boy would you yeah. mind coming over to ireland and helping us out come on and especially back then like people didn't live as long so 28 would have been a substantial age oh he was he was well established he was a man and yeah. he'd been educated across Europe, so of course. he was a, he was an educated man of letters and of God. Mm-hmm. Don't refer to him as boy. Holy servant man was what you should have said. <laughs> man servant. Now, that's one story, and that's the story Patrick tells in his autobiography. But, but it's not true, well, which is the real one. There were also suggestions that, at the time, Patrick was facing some kind of investigation for financial irregularities, which may have led to his later confession in which he essentially claims that the money was resting in his account and he was being victimised. Okay. So Patrick says there was this divine command to go to Ireland to spread the gospel. But some of the records of the time say Patrick may have been embezzling money. And if he'd stayed in the country, he may have faced a court case. That's a lot less saintly, isn't it? <laughs> well, regardless of the reason that he decided that it was time to go back to the country where he'd been enslaved. Yeah. Um, he decided that he would sail back to Ireland to spread the gospel as the vision had told him. And he set off from a little village called Hesham. And before he left, he had a chapel erected to commemorate this, which still stands to this day. And it's is called that the one that I've been to? St. Patrick's Chapel. So legend would have it that that is the point at which he left England. Is that the chapel that I went to? That's the chapel that you went to, yeah. <gasps> so you're now feeling involved in the story, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. He sailed across and he landed in Wicklow. And then shortly afterwards, he got back on his boat because the locals, uh, they really didn't like what Patrick was selling. So he was hounded out of Wicklow pretty much the same evening he arrived. (laughs) What, so they weren't buying into Christianity? No, he walked into the local tavern and went, hey guys, I'm here to spread Christianity. Do you want to hear about Jesus? And they all just... Which is mad. Fuck off! Because... Ireland is probably one of the most religious places in the Western world. Yeah. I'd, I'd say probably, and Patrick's no. about to take a lot of the credit for that because he okay. wasn't put off by the people of Wicklow telling him where to shove it. And he just sailed a little bit further north before eventually landing somewhere in County Down. Okay. Now, while I say, you know, he he's going to take a lot of credit, he did admit in his autobiography that it didn't go as smoothly as he would have hoped this conversion of the Irish people to Christianity. 
Despite his inspired use of the shamrock as a way of illustrating the concept of the Holy Trinity, the three in one. Okay. Patrick states that during his time converting the people of Ireland, he was imprisoned at least twice, once for two months and once for 14 days respectively, and that his life was in mortal danger on at least 12 separate occasions, including one very special occasion when he was beaten bloody, robbed of all his possessions and nearly executed. So, I mean, he wasn't welcomed, really, was he? Either he really believed in the mission or the penalties that he was facing back in England were substantial. Those are the only two reasons I could think that he would persist with this. So he's in loads of money trouble in England, basically. That's why he can't go back. It's either that or he really believed in the cause and he was, you know, about as holy as it gets. It's like, I don't care, you're testing me, God, but I'm going to pass that test. I'm going to say it's the former rather than the latter. Well, even though, you know, it seems to be really hostile in Ireland, unlike Andrew and George, Patrick did not become a martyr. Instead, his persistence eventually paid off, and he claims that he eventually baptised thousands of people and created a network of churches and priests across the country. Single-handedly. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, he was he was very much about advertising Patrick because during his confession, which was um, the, the book that he wrote about his life, he made the claim that, largely thanks to his own solo efforts... The people of Ireland were now become people of the Lord and are called children of God. The sons and daughters of the leaders of the Irish are seen to be monks and virgins of Christ. So he's claiming not only has he converted them, but he's made them the holiest of the holy. They have Mm. there's none more intense than the newly converted, is there? And he's oh, got an entire no. country of them who are just really high on Jesus juice right now. They're, they're happy mm-hmm. about it. This new religion that's promising them eternal life, they're loving it. Although Patrick also admitted in his confession that he would dearly like to visit England again before he died, he claimed that he'd received another message from God that in doing so, he would be found to be guilty. Which again, is an odd choice of words for someone who was facing legal proceedings. He, there's there's a warrant out for his arrest, basically, yeah. and he can't go back. This is scandalous, Joe. Like, everything we know is just based on liars. But I, I wonder if the confession that he wrote, because it was during his lifetime and was distributed, was his way of saying, look, look at all I've done. You know, I know the church are out to get me for some financial irregularities, but I've converted an entire nation of people single-handedly. Please, can I come home now? God is saying that if I go home, I will be found guilty. But you have it in your power to say, no, that's not true. You can come home. We will drop the charges. We will allow you back. But but alas, it did not happen. It did not happen. And he did never return. He did never return. That's an interesting oh. phrasing that I've used. Oh, no. Either way, though, whether he was guilty of financial irregularities or not, the one thing we know for certain is that Patrick did not banish any snakes from Ireland, as even in the third century... Roman geographer Salonius confirmed that Ireland was a land entirely bereft of snakes. Yeah, well, I can imagine it was very similar to England in that we have snakes. Regards. Yeah, I know, but like we have we have two. Yeah, we have the, the adder, snake and the, ast- and the, yeah. and the adder. Yeah, I've seen both of them. Well done. I've okay. never seen either. I've never seen a native no. British snake. Maybe not. They're no. not that big. Well, I, I mean, I wasn't expecting anaconda levels. 
My anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun. I'm not only leaving that in, I'm going to loop it. <laughs> At the end. With the, with a beat. Put a I'll beat try on and it. put a beat under it, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Anyway, enough of this jollity. We've got one more saint to cover. Okay. We're three saint, out of four. Saint Wales. St. Yes. Saint Wales. Saint, the aptly named Saint Wales. Saint David. Yes. The youngest of the four patron saints of Britain. You know, chronologically speaking. You're he tell actually me he's not Welsh. lived to be the oldest. Did he? Good he thing. did. Saint David, as you said, who amazingly was actually born in the country he is patron saint of. No way. David is a Welsh boy. Yeah. He's a local lad done incredibly good. good. David. He was born sometime around the year 512 and was the grandson of a Welsh king. Okay. However, you could tell he was probably quite far from the line of succession, given that his father's name was literally Non. Okay. As in, <laughs> what chance have I got of being king father? None. None. That is your name. <laughs> yeah. Just so you never forget that you are never going to wear a crown. You silly, silly, silly child. Now, David, he was born in Henfenia, which is about 69 miles from Cardiff. And okay. I've probably mispronounced. There are probably other Welsh names and places that I will mispronounce. And all I can say is I'm very sorry. It is Apology. my ignorance. It's not me trying to be funny. This this is my ignorance. And As I'm a man with Welsh blood. Yep. I uh, I can apologise. Uh, sorry, I can forgive you. Thank you. On behalf of the Welsh people. I'm, sh- I'm sure that's legally binding. Anyway. Even though I'm like hardly at all He was Welsh. born in Henfenu, about 69 miles from Cardiff. David joined the priesthood early in life. He didn't need um, divine intervention or anything. He just thought it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And through selfless dedication, he became known as a teacher and a preacher who dedicated himself specifically to founding monastic settlements and churches across Wales, southwest England, and Brittany. Okay. So he actually got about a bit, but always it was, we need more monks, we need more nuns, we need more people in service of the Lord. He's very much a one-track mind kind of guy. Yeah. Now, the monks and nuns at the monasteries he founded were encouraged by David to live a life so pared back that it is amazing any of them actually were able to survive. Were they hardly allowed to eat at all? Oh, yes. But before they even got to what they were allowed to eat, according to David's instructions, the monks had to pull the plough on their fields without the use of any draft animals. So you couldn't have cattle, you couldn't have draft horses. It was just you. You had to put your own shoulder to it. Because we're we're here to, you know, be custodians of the animals, not to we're force them to work. To suffer. Yeah. And they, won't that, won't that turnip of... taste better when you know that you were the one who dragged that massive fucking plough through the soil? I mean, there is something quite satisfying, I guess, about like doing stuff on your own. But like religion, it's just it's brutal, isn't yeah, it? I mean, like, a there's lot a lot it. to be said for having your own vegetable patch, but this is like we're talking almost industrial, industrial scale. scale yeah. Farming, you're trying to keep a monastery going, so you're ploughing full fields. And they say, no, you have to do that by hand. And to fuel this back-breaking labour, it was suggested by David that they drink only water and they eat only bread. Although he I would... imagine water's a bit dirty at this 
time of We year. had this same discussion um, about the, the relatives of, of water at the time, and I guess it depends where you were getting it from. So uh. if you were... If these monasteries were up in the mountains and they were sort of near natural springs, if you were getting the water from the, the like spring Buck, or if you... Buxton spring. Yeah, or if you managed to dig a well into a really good aquifer, you know, really pure, you'd probably be okay. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing most... Of the, well, this was pre-industrialisation, so a lot of the sort of pollutions weren't likely to be occurring, at okay. least. Right, got you. You've got, got you. you've got that going for you, if nothing yeah. else. You've got no pollution being dumped into rivers. He did allow, with the bread, though, to be fair to him, that you could have a little bit of salt, maybe some herbs. That's okay for flavour, but That's don't kind. don't go nuts. Yeah? I do like bread. Oh, a good a good loaf of bread is amazing. Mm. Like if you go and you get the ones that have been freshly baked and they're oh still slightly warm, oh, yeah. like crusty on the outside, nice and soft on the inside. A good rosemary for catcher. Mm. I mean, I doubt mm. that the guys at the monastery were having this. You know, they weren't allowed an olive studded rosemary for catcher. No, they're not mm. having that. They're having cob loaf <laughs> with a little bit of salt sprinkled on it. No butter. No, oh God, no. You can't expect the cows to provide that kind of labour for you. But I love butter. Oh, you wouldn't want to spread love butter on it. <laughs> anyway, after the hard day work in the fields and then eating your meagre rations, the monks were expected to spend the evenings in prayer, reading the Bible and writing. Because obviously they were expected to do the copying out so that more um, copies of the Bible could be distributed. I mean, some of the books that they did are so beautiful. Oh, yeah. Like their hand drawings are just amazing. And they look beautiful, but then you've got to remember that there's some poor monk who's copying that out. And when he finishes copying out an entire Bible... Let's do it again. Yeah, they're just going to hand him a fresh sheet of paper and go, right, in the beginning. (laughs) It's no wonder they got into all that drollery around the edges you know yeah. all the sort of sketches because i would be bored as sin you know like you you be in your 50th 60th year and you're on like your 20th bible just, oh my god i mean they do look amazing they, they look beautiful as a one-off artifact but you, you, there must be a point at which you're questioning your life you're like i am essentially a printing press they don't exist yet but that's what i am a slave labor yeah well, yeah, they are essentially slave bre- labour. The bread and water. They're being expected to literally work the fields all day. And they're not copy allowed to... out these texts. Specifically in David's monasteries, no personal possessions were, ra- were allowed at all. No David personal sounds possessions pretty, were allowed. He sounds pretty cruel. Hmm. I mean, he's cruel, but to say Dedic- that... Dedicated. He did the same. He okay, walked the fine. walk. It wasn't... David was living in a bling palace with a golden crown on and was going, no, 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 you've got to live a saintly life. Mm-hmm. No, God's chosen me, so I get the crown and I'm going to actually have butter on my bread. He was doing the same thing. He was very much all in. He wouldn't ask you to do anything that he wasn't doing himself. Yeah, fair, fair. He practised asceticism, so he was, if anything, more pared back. I don't know how that was possible. I imagine him wearing just a loincloth, you know, one of those guys. Yeah, it's a good look. And he encouraged his followers to adopt a vegetarian lifestyle and to avoid beer at all costs. It's very modern. Yeah, but that was, you know, the monks he kind of had a bit of authority over, but all the people he was preaching to, he was sort of encouraging. He's like, come on, guys, if you want to really make God super happy, you'll stop eating pigs and you'll stop drinking the beer. 
and you'll just be on your Buxton mineral water and you'll be eating your avocado toast. Having a pure life. Yeah. The, the, the kind of life. Look at how great I look. I bet he was so, like, thin from, oh, yeah. like, not having anything. He must he have been ripped. Rake thin. Just muscles on muscles from pulling that plough. Just that kind of old man kind of strength, you know, where the, the muscles are just pure gristle. But, you yeah. know, they can go forever. That's our David. That's our David. And his his sort of encouragement of the vegetarian lifestyle goes some way to explaining why the symbol of Wales is now a leek. Ah, uh, okay. I do like a leek. Fancy. It's a fancy onion. It's an onion with ideas. Well, but it's... it's an... <laughs> oh, brilliant. But to be fair, clean living and a sense of duty were not going to be enough to gain David a sainthood. You need no. that extra something, that, that story that people can hang the hats on, the killing yeah. of the dragon, the being one of Jesus' disciples, you know, the driving the snakes out of a country with no snakes. You needed that hook. <laughs> the embezzlement. The embezzlement. You need a hook, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So what I'm saying is David needed to do something to elevate himself above the the, the rest of the priesthood of Wales. Mm. And he got his chance around the year 545 when he attended a synod, which is a, a word for a meeting of clergy. So if you get a load of clergy together to have a, a discussion, you're having a synod. A knees up. Yeah. That was taking place in the small Welsh village of Llandui Brefi. Isn't that where... Little Britain, is that where he comes from? Hlandui Brefi? I don't, yeah. I can't remember. Did you not watch? I watched it, but I can't yeah, remember what it was. It was uh, Gay David. from Gay David from Hlandui yeah. Brefi. Well, yeah. non-Gay David was there for the Synod. And okay. it had been called to agree a response to the rise in popularity of a sort of Christian cult, I guess you'd call it. So an offshoot called Pelagonism whose cool. adherents followed the teaching of Pelagius, who was a, a Roman Christian from from times before. Pelagius had argued that there was no such thing as original sin, and that, because God would not ask his believers to do the impossible, it must therefore be possible to satisfy all the divine commandments and achieve a perfect life. So this guy was coming out and saying, don't worry, you've, you're not guilty by association to Adam. You know, you've done nothing wrong and you can be perfect in God's sight well, that, just by that being sounds, you. That sounds better to me than, like, you're all sinners. It sounds better to you, yes, as one of the pause. Hmm. But to the church leaders, they were worried that if commoners believed that they could be without sin they might start to question if they needed the many mechanisms of removing sin that the church offered. Like the <laughs> weekly sermons and, and, and paying the money, tithes, the money given, yeah. yeah. And the confessions and everything. So they're like, we can't, we can't let them actually think that there's a way out of this. They need us. and they. Need I would to... love to sit in confession and be like the priest. Yeah, the, the problem and is like, you would gossip listen. afterwards. I yeah, don't think could... you have it in you, man. Yeah, blood. No, I would. I, you, you wouldn't gossip afterwards. No, I would gossip. That's why you can't do it. No, but I, do, I don't want to be a real priest. I just want to sort of sneak in there and listen to what everyone's saying. Oh, right. You're going to secrete yourself in the other thing. And when they go yeah. in, you're just going to pretend. Right? Yeah. Yes, the the priest is listening. <laughs> yeah. Who can have I you get, fucked, my child? Can I get three Hail Marys? 
The priest doesn't normally ask such probing questions, sir. <laughs> yes, well, we've got to be very sure about your sins. Now, describe <laughs> it again, slowly. <laughs> anyway, so they were concerned that if people were allowed to continue believing in this doctrine, allowed to continue promoting it, they'd be out of a job. Naturally, David decided that he would speak against this new heretical doctrine. He was very much for the church and for original sin, and that only by a leek-based, no-butter diet could anyone even hope to be close to achieving what you needed to get to heaven. Yeah. And when he rose to speak, legend states that the ground rose up below him to form a small hill so as that everyone would be able to hear what he had to say. Mm-hmm. And a white dove came down from the sky and landed on his shoulder while he was giving his impassioned speech. Now, the other priests were so impressed by this. I mean, I'm going to call it quite tame miracle. Okay. He created a small hillock and a bird landed on him. <laughs> it, you know, it's hardly the parting of the seas, is it? Could it be like a reverse... Um, sinkhole well, the, like uh, marsh the, gas has just inflated pushes up it does happen you see it in um, I don't think that Wales sits on a fault line though anymore oh, I don't know I'm making that up I don't think it ever did I mean I know that Edinburgh that was a volcano at one it stage was. I don't know if yeah. anything ran through Wales but There's it definitely a volcano would've, right would've near been. my house but that, we're talking time. tens of thousands of years aren't we if not hundreds yeah I don't think what a thousand years ago, one thousand five hundred years magic, ago. A magic, a magic trick. Like he got something set up ahead of time. That's what I think the wa- walking on water was. Like Jesus probably had loads of like fake blocks, like in the in the water, and was just like running across them really quickly. <laughs> With that ma- that setup time, yeah, and no one noticed. Yeah. Okay. He was, he, it, he was the David Blaine of of that period of time. It was just a. Uh, an act that got really out of hand. Well, and he didn't—he didn't know how to break character by that point. Yeah, because once you've got thousands of people following you and you know hanging on your every word, that gets to be quite just enticing. like Mary being a virgin. Like that was just a lie that got completely out of hand. She just had to live with it and create yeah. this entire new mythology. Oh no! I—I I it was God that got me pregnant. It wasn't Trevor next door. <laughs> Sexy Trevor. Yeah. Sexy Trev. Who works from home while you go and toil at the carpentry shop all day. Yeah. But regardless, the other priests were impressed by what David had managed. To the point that the current archbishop of the area, Debricius, Mm. he immediately abdicated the position to allow David to take over. So he saw this tiny hill raise and he went, that is fucking brilliant. And he took off his archbishop hat and handed it to David and went, ah, you know, I'm retiring, mate. You take over. Anyone who can create a small hill obviously has a better understanding of the scriptures than I could ever hope to manage. <laughs> Away you go, David. A church was eventually built on the Miracle Hillock, with a version still standing on the exact same spot to this day, which is naturally called St David's Church. Brilliant. So if you go to Llandui Brevi, you will be able to go to the very spot where a dove landed on a very the, thin Welshman. Is the mound, the mound still there? At the church is built on it, yeah, so there'll be a small hill that the church is on top of. Oh, okay, so it's it's, it's of 
a substantial-ish size to hold a church on top of it. I, d- I don't think it's the biggest church in the world, but yeah, it's it's not just it wasn't just like three a foot man, around. Okay, yeah, that's what I was. Vis- it wasn't a man-sized. Look. Yeah, it was quite a, like quite a an imposing hill. hill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just a rather large mutant mole had caused it, and he just yeah. took the credit. As a side note, though, to Debrickius, he wasn't out of a job for long because he became Archbishop of Llandaff and reportedly was the man responsible for crowning King Arthur himself before a well-deserved retirement on Bardsey Island off the west coast of Wales. Wonderful. Which is now best known as the purported burial place of Merlin. Oh, okay. So what I'm saying is, Debrickius, he went off um, on a sort of, I'm done with being an archbishop, I'm going to go off into Arthurian legend and spend a few years there, because that seems like a fun place to be. I mean, yeah. Fair play to him. I'm sure there were dragons there. And more fun. There's, is it, well, the Welsh flag, is that how we got a dragon? I don't know why the Welsh flag is a dragon, actually. No. Mm. I love it how it just gets missed out of the Union flag as well. Well, they say it's in the background. Mm, it's not, though, is it's it? It's not, no. It's it's a bit unfortunate, because, to be honest, if there's a dragon going, I would be whapping that right on the top. Yeah, a dragon in the middle yeah. of that would look amazing. I think I think so. I think they've missed a trick there. It was the it's the coolest part of any of the flags of oh, the I British agree. Isles is the uh, dragon, and yet we hide it behind a couple of t- crosses. Well, no, it's a ten a penny on flags. Boring. Mm. It's believed, as I said before, that David lived into his eighties, which shows the benefit of his dietary advice. Pure life. Pure life. He lived into his eighties before dying on March the first on a Tuesday. Though strangely, we don't know what year. Shrove Tuesday. Is that March the 1st? No, I don't know. It's around that time. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, we know that he died on a Tuesday. We just don't know what year. Which is a weird bit of information to be missing from that date. But there you go. Well, surely if you can work out when he was born and he was 80, something. Yeah, but we don't know exactly when he was born. We know he was born Uh, at some point. We know he died at some... It's very wishy-washy with St. David. Fine. It was later reported, though, that his death was heralded by a company of angels who appeared in the church, and these final words to his followers were thus. Lords, brothers and sisters, be joyful and keep your faith and your creed, and do the little things that you've seen me do and heard about. And as for me, I will walk the path that our fathers have trod before us. Which is quite a nice mild-mannered set of last words it is quite mild-mannered but just do the little the way, things just do what you can the way that he's come across to me though is he's a bit of a slave driver i don't know that he is i think he's just really into the god thing and doesn't understand why other people might not be as intensely into mm. it as he is yeah you know the kind of guy so he's, oh, he's this really is brilliant passionate. isn't it yeah, yeah we should do this oh do you know what us owning our own clothes is stupid. We should have communal clothes. And then the people who are awake doing jobs can wear clothes. The people who are asleep will be in the drawers. And we can just run a shift system and it'll save money. And we can give that to the poor so, and use so, it to grow so, even more leeks. Sounds like socialism to me. He does sound quite the socialist, doesn't he? Mm. Is it Jeremy Corbyn? <laughs> <laughs> well, he had his own vegetable patch. Definitely. Well, so maybe. There you go. There you go. He then moved to Islington. <laughs> <laughs> where he's been MP ever since. <laughs> um, Still trying to spread his mild-mannered message. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, <laughs> that's interesting. I uh, so I'm, I'm going to recap. Um. So David, as I said, comes across. He came across as a bit of a slave driver, but now that you've sort of twisted my view on that a bit, um, just really into God. Um, can I just can I just give you the the final note on David that yes, even yes, though yes. he was a Welsh boy done good, and even though his death was apparently accompanied by heralds of angels, it took him four hundred years to be recognised as the patron saint of David, uh, patron saint of <laughs> Wales, by Pope Calixtus the second in eleven twenty. God, they're in it for the long game, aren't they? Yeah, but I mean, to be honest, that one, it was rubber stamping because the people of Wales had decided they weren't going to have some, um, you know, non-Welsh person foisted on them as their national hero. Well, I mean, it's like, good no, that, it's he's, David, man. that he's from the actual place that yeah. he um, represents. So is David your favourite of the four? No, well, I don't know. I, I quite like that St. Patrick is a bit of a charlatan. <laughs> and he's basically a crook, isn't he, on the run? That's Let's be honest. That's what he is. Yeah, but I love the fact that in order to be able to avoid capture and, you know, the consequences of his actions, he basically spread a brand new religion to an entire country. That was his his plan to avoid <laughs> the consequences of his actions. Well, I guess I, I best just introduce an entirely new religion to it, a group it's an, of people. It's a very extreme plan, but... Yeah, it's. It, I mean, I wonder how many people realise that he's, he's English as well that i can imagine in 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 parts of ireland that would not go down very well Mm. um there may have been two patricks as well just to muddy the waters oh okay fine um because the idea that an entire country would be converted within the lifespan of one guy um isn't likely i mean he's he's quite a good advert for himself but they believe there were a few potentially um priests called patrick who were around and the story's kind of I love, yeah. I love that St. George uh, is potentially Arabic. Is that St. George or St. Andrew? St. George. St. George, yeah. It's well, both of them, I mean. Arabic and St. Andrew's the, from Galilee. the people on the far right would absolutely despise that. So I'm loving, I'm loving that. Yeah. Um, I'm also loving that he never came to England ever. Oh, no, nowhere near. Um, and he was, was not probably, within a thousand miles. I was probably really unaware of this really insignificant bit of land. On I the think edge by, of... that, by that time, you know, the Romans had at least visited... No, it was 300, so it would have been during the Roman occupation. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean... News may have spread. Yeah, I don't think it was ever posted there. No. But they would have been vaguely aware that on the very, very western reach of the empire was this shitty little island which was used as a place to send the worst of your people amazing you're you're off to the place where it rains and then maybe you'll think about whether you're going to follow what you've done (laughs) no olive groves for you no thistles um bloody brambles st andrew i enjoy that his kneecap was one of the uh bones that was brought (laughs) The most important of all the bones, really, the kneecap. I mean, it is. Without it, you wouldn't be able to stand up, would you? Emma's missing a kneecap. Maybe what I need to do is I need to go up to Fife and I need to take the kneecap and see if we can't have it installed. Oh, yeah. No, I I did know this because you were trying to find a fake kneecap for her. I was. I still am. No, not a fake one. I want a real kneecap. uh, Do you want mine when I die? No, well, 
I mean, if it if it comes to it, and I still haven't managed to source a real human kneecap by that point. But the old um, anatomical models, you know, the old skeletons from Victorian times, they were real bones. Yeah, so you, you can still find, buy. Yeah, it's just whether someone's bothered to take that apart. I would love one of those skeletons on like the little pedestal things that you get to wheel around. Mm. I would love it in my house. And these just, are bones. You'd have to learn a, the names of them all, obviously, as a decor piece. Anyway, I know that ending on St. David is too wholesome for you and that you are sat in the dark in with your yeah. brand new Frankenstein's monster um, picture mm-hmm. and you want a bit yeah. of something, a bit horror, a bit um, a bit more macabre to Give end on. Give it to on. me, Joan. Give it to so, me. So there was a little twist to the end of the St. David story because apparently one of his dying wishes was that he wanted his fellow Welshman to be given similar warning that they were about to die. Because he'd had the chorus of angels, he'd had the heralds, he knew that it was time to get his affairs in order, he had time to give a final speech, had time to, you know, sort out his laundry, anything he wanted to do. His wish was granted. And it resulted in the phenomena of corpse candles appearing across Wales. These are reportedly ghostly lights that will be seen in the night to warn the locals that a death would soon occur, with the size and the colour of the candle indicating if it was a man, woman or child who would soon be breathing their last. I love that. There you go. I love it. That is the end of my roundup of the four big saints of the British Isles. And when you celebrate on March the 1st, March 17th, April the 23rd or November the 30th, hopefully you'll now know a little bit more about the legend that's attached to the name. I've learnt so much tonight. There you That's go. That's so interesting. No, I have. I'm it's gonna, a public service that we provide. I'm going to spread that message. Of hatred. Of sheer <laughs> hatred. <laughs> for all the saints. I wonder if there'll be saints forever or like in years to come, we just won't have saints or there'll be different ones. Well, I don't like, know because thinking back at other previous religions and other religions, I mean, the Sikhs have the Gurus and they, mm-hmm. were, they were definitely people, you know, the Buddha was, or the the example Buddha, um, was a person. Mm. You know, uh, Muhammad definitely existed. Yeah, Jesus. Um, Jesus definitely existed. But the idea that you could now sort of attach yourself to to those religions, I think it is only Christianity that allows you to do the same in the same way, where it will be recognised by the church to the same degree, and there's a full process that goes with it. I don't, I don't know if Islam has a similar process that they are able to follow. No, I'm unsure as well. <laughs> but I'm unsure. It is it is a strange idea that you could then become the patron saint and you don't necessarily have any link to the thing that you're patron saint of and you're suddenly... You know, because there's people who are patron saint of car mechanics. It's like, well, a car what, wasn't a thing. <laughs> what would you like to be patron saint of? Oh, come on, it's got to be podcasting. Of course. Patron saint of podcasting. Uh, when... Do you know what mine would be? Trains. Trains. Fucking love a train. I fucking love a train. My anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun. My anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun. My anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun.
Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric, here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.